Well, amen. You know, I'm, I'm up here during that bumper video looking at my notes, seeing what I have left to say. That's how you know the spirit works, because, I mean, she said all I have to say. To be honest, I know you're not ready for your lunch reservations yet, but I could cut you and let you go right now. I mean, that was it. The Hall of Famer herself. Did y'all see that? Yeah. When, when one of us wins, that's what I love about this community. When one of us wins, we all win. Roz's induction into the Worcester Sports Hall of Fame is an induction for all of us into, into a Hall of Fame because, we, because that's our family. That's our team. That's home, that's home team right there. Congratulations. Um, if you've been with us, welcome home. If you haven't been with us, this is your first time, what's good? Welcome home. We've been in a series called Move the Needle. I wonder if there's anybody still with me or if you're all just still thinking about what Roz was saying. Uh, can, can, can you show me that you're with me and can you say, move the needle? Move the needle. Now, I need you to say it like God put breath in those lungs this morning. Can you say, move the needle? That's right. We're going to move the needle with purpose this morning. See, last week we started this series called Move the Needle, which is a phrase uh, that is often used in business and media and entertainment and all kinds of facets um, that essentially means to change a situation a considerable amount. Change a situation a considerable amount. And I don't know if you even noticed, if you took the time to notice, but this graphic looks a little weird. Because what it means to move the needle forward in the kingdom might not look how we're used to seeing things. It might not always look like how the world has manufactured things to be seen. It might look backwards. It might look upside down. I believe I stand on good ground when I say that's the kingdom. This morning... The object of our focus is the fact that on one side you have empty and on the other side you have full. The thought that I want to speak from this morning is moving that needle towards fullness. You can find me in the book of Colossians. If you have your physical Bibles with you, I invite you to go there. It's in the New Testament. It's a little bitty book, so it might be easy for you to miss. Go ahead. Feel free to look at the first page, the uh, what is it called, the context, the index, whatever it's called. Um, go ahead and look there. No embarrassment there, right? If you have your electronic devices with you, and this morning in particular, you're feeling real confident because worship's got you feeling some type of way. You feel real confident in your ability to fight off the temptation of the devil to stay off of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, all of that, right? You go ahead and pull it up on your electronic device. And for the rest of us, we'll go ahead and check it out on this screen up here. This is the book of Colossians written by the Apostle Paul. This is chapter one, and we're going to begin our time this morning in verse 19. It's going to say, for in him, and I need you to know that that means Jesus. For in him, meaning Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, meaning Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in, or whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now 
reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I Paul became a minister the apostle Paul the gospel globetrotter himself, the apostle of run-on sentences. What on earth did we just read? Don't worry. I'm going to spend time breaking it down for you. A few years ago, I had a meeting outside of a Starbucks a few miles from here. Uh, we were sitting outside as it was a particular nice day. And those of you who are uh, natural citizens of the state of Ohio, you know that when we have nice days, you know, with the temperature perfectly in between too hot and, oh, Lord, here we go again, um, you need to sit outside. You need to take advantage of those days, right? If you have a movable TV, you put that outside, right? If you have activities that you've been holding off on, you do that outside, right? You sit outside. I'm sitting outside of the Starbucks a few miles from here, and the way that my chair is set up is I'm facing uh, uh, the side of the building where those who went through the drive-through are coming out. And as I sit there in this meeting, I'm watching the steadiest of streams of morning traffic, right? Because we're all in the same boat here, right? We we all need just a little bit of something in the morning to get us going, right? And so this steady stream is just going the whole time that I'm in this meeting until suddenly, out of nowhere, with no loud noise or no type of notice or anything, it stops. There's nothing coming out. Nobody driving out of the drive-thru, which is weird because on the other side, I can see the line getting backed up. So I know it's people back there, but I'm not super sure what's happening until I see four baristas pushing a car out of the drive-through line because a woman had ran out of gas while she was waiting for her morning coffee. Now, the first thing that I notice is the irony of this situation is on either side of this particular Starbucks is an easily accessible gas station. No matter what direction said woman was coming from, she could have very easily made a pit stop in at a gas station to fill her tank before getting her morning coffee. But this woman chose to go for her morning brew before getting gas. She chose to get what she felt like she needed to function rather than prioritizing what was going to sustain her for her journey. And those of you who are waiting for that shoe to drop, it wasn't my wife. I don't know the person. Don't worry. Y'all were like nudging each other. It's Rachel, bro. It's, I swear it's Rachel. It wasn't Rachel. It was a complete stranger. And even if it was Rachel, I wouldn't tell you. How many of you know that sometimes, sometimes we go for what our body wants? 
Sometimes we go for what we think we need. Sometimes we go for what is temporary or what will get us just through this next meeting or this next moment that we got to wrestle with or struggle through as opposed to reaching for what's going to sustain us. As opposed to reaching for what's going to ultimately get us to where we're going. Whether you resonate or, or immediately recognize it or not, it's actually a problem that's as old as all creation account, quite literally. You can trace this issue back to the book of Genesis. Y'all know the story, and if you don't, listen to KT's sermon from a couple weeks ago. He pretty well covered it. But as you see in Genesis 1 and 2, everything is dope. Everything is cold. It's perfect. Everything exists in beauty and perfect harmony. Until what? Until chapter 3, right? Because chapter 3 is where human allows sin to enter. And now humanity means something completely different. And what we see in Genesis 3 is Humanity allows sin to enter into the picture of our world and to the picture of our lives. Everything is different from that moment forward. What you read at the end of chapter 3 is Jesus clearly and concisely explaining the consequences of sin entering the world. He addresses each of them to the serpent, to the evil one, to Satan, who is the one who is guilty of bringing this to our attention in the first place. This is the consequence. To woman, who was the first indeed to bite the apple, here's the consequence. To man, who also ate, who shared in woman's wrongdoing, here's the consequence. And rather than spending a whole lot of time that I don't think you want to give me this morning breaking it down to you, I think that the easiest summation of these consequences is this. We were separated from the fullness of God. It's the easiest way I can put it. We existed. We basked in the fullness of God prior to this event in Genesis 3. It was perfect. We were fulfilled. We had everything that we need. We had joy. We had peace. There was nothing to corrupt love. It was perfect. And then the consequence of allowing sin to enter into the picture was that now all that existed in the fullness of God was separated from us. God, you inspired the picture of man and woman being kicked out of the garden. That what we once had perfectly and abundantly in God is now just a desire of our hearts as we digress towards death in our new reality. Let me see if I can put it in another way. I know we got a lot of educated folks in the room. The second law of thermodynamics. You can tell I didn't like science. The second law of thermodynamics, most simply as I'm able to understand it, suggests there's a whole law. There's a whole thing. It sounds real pretty and real, real good. Let me tell you what it means. The things that are hot eventually become cold. Yeah. 
That's it. Plain and simple. It's that heat always moves downhill. Something that is hot, unless otherwise acted upon, given the right amount of time, will eventually be not hot anymore. The same is true that I'd like to apply to our world or our lives in light of sin. That what once was perfect, set apart in beauty and in harmony, now that sin has entered the picture, digresses. It only moves further and further downhill unless otherwise acted upon it. Let me say it, see if I can say it a little bit more clearly because this may be the one bit of truth that our overly pessimistic brothers and sisters share. Quite simply, the fact is this, everything gets worse. Everything gets worse. Unless something else acts upon it, in this world, in this lifetime, everything gets worse. Metal, eventually, no matter how firm, how strong, how shiny or how impressive it is in 2022, eventually that metal will rust. Our bodies. Some of y'all still in your 20s, so you're looking at me. What about my body? Let me tell you. Without putting the work in, my brothers and sisters, it gets worse. And no amount of death, sorry, no amount of work can do more than delay the decay into death, right? Everything gets worse. But here's the thing. This was not God's original intention or design. It is the result. It is the consequence of sin in our lives. And I know what you're thinking, especially some of you who are here for the first time. I know what you're thinking. Well, this sucks. What a downer. Pastor, in the first 10 minutes of you talking, you have managed to destroy all hope I have for humanity. You don't think the world can get better? No. Everything gets worse. That sounds hopeless and I'll just go ahead without getting too far ahead of myself and tell you that outside of the hope that arrives in the form of Jesus it is hopeless if you're looking for anything other than Jesus it will remain hopeless my fear this morning is that too many of us have just accepted the consequences of the fall of humanity. My fear this morning is that too many of us, as I describe the hopelessness that exists in the world, you too readily resonated. You were like, yep, it does. It only gets worse. There's actually nothing I can do to make things better. I wonder, have you just accepted the consequences of the fall with no hope in Jesus? Have you just accepted that loneliness is a part of your reality? 
Have you just accepted that imperfect love is a part of your reality? Have you just accepted that good work and good things seem to just stay just this far outside of your reach? Once upon a time in the Garden of Eden, we had intimacy with God. We had the fullness of God to cling to. Now we try to fill the void of that intimacy with sexual pleasure and empty relationships. Oh, y'all didn't like that one. Once upon a time in the Garden of Eden, when we had the fullness of God to cling to, we had everything we needed. And now, now we work really hard and burn ourselves out for more money. A system that God didn't create. You ever thought about that? Kind of crazy that we work so hard for something that God didn't make. And that ultimately, actually, the messaging of keeps us in a poverty mindset. If we grew up in poverty and our mindset is the opposite of poverty is richness, then we will only burn ourselves out to the point of death, thus staying in poverty. You ever thought about that? Once upon a time in the Garden of Eden, when we had the fullness of God to cling to, we found purpose and fulfillment in the will of God and for us and the work that he had for us to do. Now, now we put in work to fight for power. Not me, pastor. I'm not, I'm not power hungry. Okay, let me put it another way. Now we work to fight for control. Control of our own lives. Control over what can and can't be ours. Whatever it is that you're wrestling with, whatever evil reality you are giving into, the, the sad, hopeless truth of the reality around us is that it will get worse unless otherwise acted upon. Addictions, anxieties, fears, failures, all these things are things that are very real to us and will only get worse unless otherwise acted upon. If you have bought in to this hopeless narrative or if somehow my pointing it out to you this morning has brought this, this dark little shadow over your mind that may not have already been there. My guess is it was already there. If you, if you have already given yourself to that and you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I need you to hear this. Unless otherwise acted upon. There is hope. There is hope against even the strongest of laws in thermodynamics. There is hope. When you read what the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians, the way he speaks about the fullness of God would take his audience back to Old Testament language. Because those with an understanding of the Old Testament would have remembered how the Israelites would strive and work so hard to build a temple that was worthy of God dwelling in. 
They wanted to build a building. They wanted to build something so dope that God would look at from heaven and be like, yeah, that's worth leaving, leaving everything I got up here to go down there and to chill with them. It's worth it. I mean, look, bro. You see the shower accommodations they got down there, angels? Like, you're not getting that up here. We got to go down there. That sounds silly, right? But that was the full cultural mentality. Let's build something that's dope enough for God to dwell here. It's an idea that many of us subconsciously have. That we've got to do something with our lives that's good enough and worthy enough of God's blessing. How many people have you heard, as soon as I get some stuff in order, I'm coming back to church? And not sitting here this morning, because outside of hope in Jesus, they're not getting themselves together. We have this mentality that we've got, to, we've got to get stuff on the way so that God will find us worthy. I've heard it said many times. I'm talking about my best friends from back home, my homies. I love them so much. I hear them say the phrase all the time, man, if I even step foot in church, I'll just burst into flames. Can I tell you? I've been doing this for a little bit now, and I've never seen it happen. And I know what some of y'all been doing. Y'all didn't burst into flames. You still here. Right? Paul says the good news that I bring to you Colossae that I bring to you third street this morning is that the fullness of God was pleased it was happy to dwell in the person of Jesus what does that mean that means that all the glory all the wisdom all the power all the sufficiency that is found in God all the characteristics all that God is has and does rested fully 100% in Jesus. Well, why is that good news? That just sounds really good for Jesus. Let me break it down to you. Look at what Paul says next. It says that he did it. God did it that way. Jesus received it that way so that they could reconcile what was broken between us. They did it so that what once was separated could be joined together as one. They did it so that the so that the evil things of this world that oppress us, hold us down, and keep us distracted from the fullness of God would not be able to bother us anymore. They did it. So that together, not apart, not separated anymore, but that together, us and God could reestablish the peace of the kingdom for now and for eternity. See, it's the fullness of God that we yearn for in our hearts. The fullness of God, the solution to whatever angst we have in our chest, what we want so badly, the Apostle Paul clearly lays out, is accessible even to you, even to me, in Jesus. It's found in Jesus through a relationship with Jesus. The good news that we can receive this morning is that we can be free. Yes, sir. Am I the only one that sometimes wakes up still in chains? 
Am I the only one that still is daily wrestling for a little bit of freedom? Am I the only one that that resonates with? Am I the only one that still so desperately wants God to set me free? I must be. All of us are dealing with something. All of us have an earthly evil reality that is dragging us further and further away from God's fullness where he's calling us home. All of us are dealing with, some, with something. For some of us, it's sickness. It's bodily illness, and we're desperately seeking healing. Amen. For some of us, it's addiction. It's things that the person next to us doesn't even know what's going on. Things that we fooled ourselves into thinking, I have control. The classic addict mindset of I can quit anytime I want to. I don't need to go to a meeting. I'm a lot of fun. Addiction that we've kept in the dark and the guilt and shame that arrives from that. With the guilt and shame, things that we slipped into. Some of us are dealing with unforgiveness. The thing we just can't get past. I'm okay if everything goes this way except this. I can live peaceably amongst all people, Lord, except them. I will sit here, I will worship you, I will give you glory, I'll say amen to the pastor in the appropriate places, but don't let Teresa come up to me at lunch. Come on now. Some of us, quite frankly, are dealing with a lack of love. We don't believe that it's possible for anyone to love us fully, truly, unconditionally. So we bounce from thing to thing to thing, solution to solution to solution, wondering, is this, going to thing that is this going to be the thing that loves me back? Or more likely, will this be the temporary element that numbs the pain so I can get through today and see what happens tomorrow? What I'm telling you is that truly and only a relationship with Jesus can and will set you free from those things. That's it. Paul continues in verse 21. He encourages those who have received this hope, those who say that they know this message is true. Paul encourages them to not forget it. And you might think to yourself, why did Paul say that? How could you forget something so beautiful? How could you forget the gospel? How could you forget that while I was yet caught up in some chains that kept me really far away from the fullness of God, Jesus came to set me free. How could you forget that? How could you forget that since the time you could walk, your grandma ingrained into you for God so loved the world? That he gave his only son so that whosoever may believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How could you possibly forget that? Well, I don't know. 
But I know that the way that some of us live on Monday through Saturday certainly looks like we've forgotten that we're free from the things that have held us in chains. Paul says you have been given a firm foundation. In a relationship with Jesus, receiving the fullness of God, you're given all the tools that you need to build something that can't be torn down by anything. You have been given the tools, the vision, the wisdom, the inspiration that you need to stand on something that can't be shaken and to build something that lasts for an eternity. So then, put in the work then. Do the hard work in putting it all together. Everything you need in Christ has already been given to you. It's all there. It's already accomplished. It's already done. Some might say it's already written. Do the hard work of putting it together so you don't continue to get tossed around by the storms that will only increase in intensity. Put the hard work in to experience the fullness of what God has to offer. How do I do that? Let me suggest just a few before I get out your way. First of all, make every space and place about God. Make every space or place that God has you, whether it be here on Sundays, your job, your school, your dorm room, your house, your family, whatever it is, make every place about God, not yourself. But we, we do it all the time. We make everything about ourselves. We make everything about our own comfort. We make everything about what can I receive from this place? What am I going to get out of this time? Come on, on, Lord. Let's see what the worship team and pastor had prepared for us today because I've had a heck of a week. It's been stressful. I need to feel better. We make it about us. The reality is these places and these spaces when you've had faith in God is not about us. It's about him. It's about giving glory to him. So perhaps the more appropriate question is how can this time in this place or space be honoring to God? Let me say it another way. How can this moment of solitude bring glory to God? How can this pain that I feel so heavily in my heart bring glory to God? How can this trial, this situation that I'm dealing with, bring glory to God? Church, I think it's almost about time. And by almost, I'm really just trying to soften the blow. It's past time for us to stop asking the question of why. Why us, God? Why this, God? Why that, God? Perhaps the more appropriate question is how. How does this bring you glory, God? How on earth does this make me more like Jesus, God? How is it that you would have me tell your story through this, God? 
putting the hard work in for the fullness of God, I would also recommend that you put yourself around the right people. I know your grandma told you this, but I mean it truly, as she might have from a biblical sense. Put yourself around the right people. You've got half of the right solution, right? You've said, I'm going to surround myself with people because it's not good for me to be alone. Fact. That's good. Good job. Finish the problem, right? Because sometimes the people that you're around will take you further from the fullness of God. Sometimes the people that you're around are the ones who are introducing to you those temporary elements that are only going to casually but consistently drag you worse, right? Put yourself around people that are helping you build, that are helping you experience the fullness of God. Here you go. Put yourself around people that actually pray for you. Not just sit there like it's dope that you've got that friend that's a real good listener, but did they pray for you at the end, right? Do you trust them? Here you go. Let's get real honest about your friendships, right? Do you trust them when you're not in front of their face that they're praying for you? I know at least 50% of us was like, man, I don't even do that. You're a bad friend. Be a good friend. Right? Put yourself around people who help you move that needle towards fullness rather than drag you closer and closer to the emptiness that you can digress into on your own. I'll only give you one more. I promise I'm going to get out your way. Adopt a kingdom mentality of serving and doing. Adopt a kingdom mentality of serving and doing. Here's what's happened, right? Our priorities are flipped. We put our goals first, then try to figure out how our goals make God happy, right? How can this goal make God happy? How can, if I say this goal in front of everybody, they'll, they'll be like, that's kingdom honoring, right? But we put the goal first. Let me give you an example. We want to make more money. We want to make more money. So what we do is we say, here's my goal. I want to make more money. How can I justify my desire to make more money to make it more kingdom-minded? On our own, we can justify any, anything. And so we fool ourselves into saying, well, if I make more, I can give more. Give me grace for just a moment because I know you're lying. First off, first off, I can already tell just by that being your mentality that you're not giving enough of what you already have. Because what you're really trying to do is figure out how can I keep more, not how can I give more. If you were trying to figure out how can I give more, here's what you would do. Ready? Mind-blowing. It's wild. Ready for it? you would give more. You're not after what you can give. You're after what, how much more can you keep. And second of all, and I know for a fact this thought probably hasn't dawned on some of you, second off, 
God doesn't need you to make more money to give more money to what he wants to give money to. He doesn't need you for that. If God wants to give money for something, it's got nothing to do with your bank account. He'll give money to it. He'll get it there. He don't need you. He don't need your strive for corporate ladder success. He needs your heart, man. When we make doing the Lord's work the first thing, then we let our goals fall after that. Watch how the Lord provides the desires of your heart. Listen, this ain't no health and wealth gospel, right? Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not telling you that this is a formula. Serve more at Habitat for Humanity and you'll be rich. Ain't nobody saying that. Give more and you'll receive more. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you prioritize what God would have you do with your time, with your energy, with your resources, you will lack for nothing because truly and only then has he become your shepherd. I got to get out your way, so let me just go ahead and... Let me just go ahead and bring it full circle with this. Here's the reality of us as a church, because I know some of you wonder. The reality for us as a church is we deal with a whole lot of harsh realities. We deal with a whole lot of it only gets worse, right? First of all, let's just call it what it is, the building we're in, okay? Is it, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's nothing, it's nothing personal. It just is what it is. The building we're in only gets worse. You know, the crazy things about what was built 100 years ago is that it only gets worse unless otherwise acted upon, right? (laughs) At times, our financial status as a church is a harsh reality. Why? Because a lot of us, that's true of a lot of us, our financial situation is a harsh reality, right? The brokenness that we deal with and encounter every single day is a harsh reality. But here's the truth as a church we're holding on to, and this is what I'm inviting you into. Everything we need is already found in Jesus. Everything we need is already found in Jesus. So the way that we live into that is we do the things that we know God is asking us to do. We don't prioritize any of the things that offer band-aids to harsh realities. We prioritize the work that God has put in front of us, and we do that first. And here's what I know for a fact, because I'm already seeing it happen. You know we got big goals. You know we're trying to do something with all of this. You're not foolish. You know what's going on, right? Let me tell you, the more and more we've committed to only the things that God has asked us to be faithful with, the more and more he's bringing the stuff to us. The more and more we're faithful to give him our time, our effort, our focus, the more and more he's faithful to just take care of it on his own. He's already started. So what I'm inviting every single person under the sound of my voice this morning or on the podcast or whatever, into 
is this journey of putting in 100% effort into your faith. What I'm inviting you into is putting 100% effort into experiencing 100% fullness of God. Give it everything you've got so that we can all share in the celebration. So that we can all get hype off the testimonies that the Lord is already writing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and to receive word. God, we thank you that while there was nothing we could do on our own to close the separation between us and you, you took care of it. Lord, we thank you that while the debt we continue to accumulate is more and more insurmountable, you have already paid it. God, we thank you that while it feels like we just have this constant self-destruct button that we keep pushing for some unknown reason, we thank you that you have made an eternal way back. And God, we know that only in your fullness are the answers that our hearts truly desire. Only in your fullness are the things that will truly bring us joy. Only in your fullness are the things that will truly give us the love that we seek. Only in your fullness is the peace that truly we need. So Lord, we pray that you would give us this day what we need to see it through. God, we pray for the patience as the, Lord, as the world throws more storms our way. We pray for the reminders that the fullness is already available to us. Lord, we pray for the resources that we need to be able to tap in to the fullness of what you're offering. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us for losing hope. Forgive us for giving in to laws of thermodynamics and just accepting the fate of everything getting worse. Forgive us for finding temporary relief that actually only makes matters worse. Forgive us for not trusting that through the pain, you have glory awaiting. And Lord, we give you praise as we recognize and honor that where you lead us is not into deeper temptation, but that you are delivering us from the evil that rules this world. Yours is the kingdom forever and ever.
Amen.